Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, I'm Harmony, and you're listening to the Finding Harmony podcast. You might not be so familiar with today's guest. He grew up in D.C., and he has been a presence in the Ashtanga Yoga community, building a beautiful online collection of essays from teachers and practitioners called Ashtanga Parampara. It was a project that both Russell and I were invited to be a part of, and it was our great honor to contribute our stories and teachings to this collection that Lu Duong was composing uh, to help our community gain some insights and to share and reflect on these stories and teachings of individual teachers. Growing up in D.C. gave Lou a very unique perspective on politics. He continues to live and work closely uh, to the D.C. area. And at one point, he served as a communications intern for Senator Hillary Clinton. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about all things political, uh, including our politics, our political situation as a society, as well as the political and politics of Ashtanga Yoga. We discuss whether it's important for us to rebrand as teachers uh, in light of all of the transgressions and some of the abuses that have surfaced around Sri K. Patabi Joyce and what's the best way to move forward with communicating these hard truths and messaging. We really start to dig into some difficult topics here with Lou. And so I want to just uh, warn you in advance that some foul language is used. So if you have little ones around, please listen with headphones. If you have sensitive ears, please take care. Um, We're getting into some hard subjects, some challenging subjects, but also there's some great insights that come out of these difficult conversations and I think it's very healing and will help us move forward not just as a Ashtanga yoga community a community of spiritual practitioners but hopefully as a society as a whole uh, that we can be more inclusive more understanding more heart-centered more compassionate more empathetic um, how we can really take our practice to the next level beyond the asana off the mat into our communities and use our practice for a higher good someone who is a shining example of this is Lu Dong and I know you're going to love this conversation with him and learn a whole lot about balancing yoga and life politics service within your community service to people who need your skills the most and using the practice to really create a better world. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. I am here today with Russell Case. Hello, everyone. Oh, you lost your voice for a second. <coughs> oh. I should. I, I think should, we're going to start that again. I should lay off the sauce yes. before the show. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just like cough in everyone's face at the beginning. That's, um, that's a terrible way to start I don't, an episode. I don't think I can get out of this. And um, I uh, think we should just restart. Okay. okay. Anyway, that's Russell, mm. and our special guest today is Lu Duong. Hi, Lu. How are you doing? 
Hi, Harmony. Hello, Russell. Greetings from Washington, D.C. Oh, that's fantastic. I, uh, I'm really, I'm really geeked. Uh, I think f- fans of the show know that, um, you know, I have a, a secret, um, or maybe not so secret obsession with, with politics and, and, you know, really, you know, I wanted to be a, a foreign service officer when I was, when I was younger. And of course, really, I just wanted to be on the West wing in some fashion or another. And y- you <laughs> seem to, to have made it uh, you seem to have crossed a bridge that I that I that I couldn't even get to. You know, Russell. In the conversation, remind me to tell you um, about uh, about how I how I got into uh, then you know Senator Clinton's office. I think you'll you'll have fun geeking out for a bit. That's right. Okay, so I have an intro for our audience for the people at home who don't know who you are. Uh, to us, you're a, a kind of legend. Uh, Lou is principal director for the tech and STEM initiatives for the United Negro College Fund, the UNCF. You were awarded the UNCF CEO Presidential Circle Award and served as communications intern to Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. You may know Lou, uh, however, as the founder of Ashtanga parampara.org, one of our most treasured historiographies of Ashtanga Yoga, and truly, for Harmony and I, an inspiration for this podcast. We we really wanted to to kind of extend on your work and and find out, you know, how everybody got to Ashtanga Yoga. Well, thank you for being on the show and thank you for your your work, Lou. Thank you, Russell and Harmony, for that um, amazingly kind introduction. I first want to say, um, honestly, it's a it's a genuine um, blessing. Uh, I feel really fortunate to be able to carve some time out with you both out of your busy schedules to sit here, converse, have conversation. Um, I know you both have have done such an amazing job of building out a community uh, within Ashtanga, furthering the practice, um, the lineage. I'm so grateful just to even spend some time with you all to discuss. I'm usually the person on the back end of this doing what you did, um, at <laughs> least for you know a few years ago. But all that to say, I'm, I'm just thankful that you both um, invited me to converse. So thank you. Mm, well, you see thank how you. you see how different it is to have a communications ma- major on the show. <laughs> it's so different, right? I need to That's take genuine. lessons. <laughs> that is- <laughs> <laughs> it's really well, like poised and crafted, and that's so wow. Lou, how long did you um, make all of the interviews in the Parampara online? I guess it's sort of like an online magazine in a in a sense. Yeah, dozens um, of them, right? Yeah, that, uh, and, we, and we can talk about future plans um, around that website and, mm-hmm. and, and where what direction it might be taking, but. Um, that what the interviews currently posted right now took about I don't know maybe two three years, um, and I really do need to also give a shout out to to my co-pilot um, Lydia Tynefall who who now runs um, Ashtanga Yoga Cooperative out in Northern Virginia right on the outskirts of Washington D.C. Um, I met Lydia through Ashtanga Arlington to the Steiner Shala, and mm-hmm. it got to a certain point, the, the website that is, um, where I, I really needed help and I really wanted someone 
that I trusted. And uh, Lydia was one of Tova's apprentices long before I became one of Tova's apprentice. And so we actually became really good friends. And I consider her an older sister. And so before I even talk about Ashtanga, you know, Parampara and the walk around it, I just want to give kudos appropriately to Lydia. Mm. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Well, hi, Lydia. I hope you, you're listening. <laughs> Would you say that it's appropriate that it was Guy Donahue that was the inspiration for your work, uh, the, the, the Guruji book, which is a collection of interviews of, of uh, Guruji's you know, more senior or more interesting students? 100%, Russell. Um, 100%, you nailed it on the head. Um, so I, I found Ashtanga in a really interesting time in my life. Um, around 2008 and nine, um, I was going through just a weird, a weird spot in my life. And um, looking back, I think, I was, I was going, I was falling really deeply into what a lot of late twenties in, 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 in the working world fall into where you're just so hyper-focused in work and you get really tied up in things like titles and status. And, you know, you're, you have the youth and you have the energy to, to really forge ahead and put in the long hours. But at a certain point, I just was really unhappy. Um, and that actually kind of, you know, manifested itself in, in my relationship with my then partner at that time. Um, and, you know, I started, I've always been a very spiritual person. I wouldn't say religious, but definitely spiritual. Um, so much so that I remember when I was in elementary school, um, I went to Catholic school from K until junior high. I'm, I'm not Catholic. My parents just wanted me to, to attend a, a, a Catholic oriented education. But all I have to say, I remember when I was, you know, like six or seven years old, I would go home and I had this little altar, you know, I had like a crucifix and some pictures of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. And I would, I would literally kind of like reenact mass because every Friday we would have to attend mass in school. Um, wow. And I just share that to say, you know, Russell and Harmony, that, you know, the, while that might sound religious, it was more from a spiritual perspective. Um, if you want to kind of geek out, I don't know if it's because I'm a double Scorpio and that's kind of like in my astrological <laughs> chart. I don't know. But, you know, we, we, we can go into that if you want at a certain point. But um, back, back, to, back to my original point, 2000, 2009, there was just something really lacking. Um, there, was, I, there was no... Can I just no say, yeah. Lou, as a as a, a um, double Taurus, you and I would have like just the most amazing sex life. <laughs> <laughs> There's really a, like a synchronicity for for those Scorpio Tauris, and and I know that all of you listeners know that, but it's um, it's an electric chemistry, and I can feel it actually right here um, through the magic of radio. Love being it's going radio. through broadband. That's right. Yeah, I, I feel it too, Russell. I know you do. Of course it's reciprocal. Yeah. Okay. Back to 2008, 2009. Yeah. Um, yes. yeah, back to, yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> going, going beyond our connection, Russell, um, at that time, I, I was just kind of like lost. And, um, I, I found, um, Shinryu Suzuki, uh, his his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And for, mm. for the amazing listeners out there, 
that haven't fallen asleep yet from my talking, um, <laughs> Shinryu Suzuki um, is kind of credited for bringing Zazen um, meditation, Zen meditation um, out to the West. And, you know, Russell, I'm sure you know, being from San Francisco and whatnot, but it was, that kind of became the launching pad mm. to how I found Ashtanga. And then um, my family friend, Tian Vo, um, who I consider my sister, she took me to a, a Baptiste yoga studio where she was practicing at in Northern Virginia called uh, a Baron Baptiste uh, yoga. Baron Baptiste, sorry. Yeah, Baron yeah, Baptiste. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So the studio was called Dancing Mind, and I fell in love with it. You two, I fell in love with for the first time. This was my first time practicing asana. Um, just being in a room and and breathing so deeply. And I did that for, I don't know, maybe about a year or so. And then at a certain point, to be quite honest and, and just blunt, um, I became, uh, I, I, I thought there must be something more than, than just this physical practice. And to be 100% transparent, I knew nothing about Ashtanga yoga at this time. And so I, it was this weird kind of pull for me to do some research and find some sort of practice that kind of like melded what I found in Zazen meditation, but the movement of asana as well, that wasn't so boot camp oriented. And that is no dismissal of, um, you know, Baptiste yoga at all. This is just my experience. Um, and I found Ashtanga online. And at that time, my work schedule, unfortunately, you know, wouldn't allow me to attend Mysore. And so I did what a lot of folks did. I, I picked up a David Swenson book mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would wake up at like 4.45 in the morning before work and I would literally practice the poses and, and do the best that I could. Um, and, I, and I watched, I, I remember watching, I think some some keynote videos and whatnot and trying to piece things together and you know, bless Tova's heart. And I'd like to talk about Tova in just a bit. But when I came to her, you know, I think she was, you know, just impressed that I, I, I was doing my best. But boy, bless her heart, because she had a lot to clean up. And this is why for any listener out there, if you get a chance, you know, you really should do your best to seek out um, a teacher um, because you can pick up a lot of, um, you know, kind of eccentric things, embellishments, if you will. <laughs> oh my if you goodness. don't really know what you're doing. You didn't, you didn't take mudras when you wrapped your, your hand around your foot, did you? <laughs> no, no mudras. No mudras, Russell. No okay, mudras. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the but, kind of thing yeah. that I like to crush as soon as I see it. <laughs> having done it for 18 months myself <laughs> and, you know, having that crushed out of my hand uh, by, you know, by Gurji or, or, or Guy, you know, like that's yeah. like... Oh, did you did you learn from David Swenson? It's like, oh yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no mudras here. Um, did then, you take any lead classes, Lou? Like, how did you sort of no how many, piece I, things I, together? I, I literally didn't. I just I was a self I was a self practitioner wow. for a few years, and I give credit. Um, you know, even in the Ashtanga Pramper website, in, in the little about me section, I give credit to amazing women one is laruga Mm glazer um this is you know pre-laruga 
popping off and just blowing up worldwide, right? So mm-hmm. she literally had this very tiny corner on the internet, a, a very small blog at that time. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with her writing. And oh wow. I, I remember Russell writing to her one time and saying, this is my situation. And, you know, like, do you have any advice for me? And we would converse. And, you know, I, I in a weird way, I... I told her this one time, you know, a few years ago, I said, I kind of consider you my first teacher, whether or not it's appropriate to say that or not, but from afar, like, because you held such a, a sacred space in, in the corner of the internets that I could just relax into. And I thanked her. And then the second amazing woman whom you both know dearly, Jessica Walden, yeah. Yeah. you know, who's Jessica a dear friend of mine now. And LaRuga are both friends of the program. And, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah. You know, Jessica, you know, had at that time two young boys. And so she was a, a household practitioner as well, as well as, um, you know, authorized teacher. And she got me through, a, you know, many, many lonely months just by a message or two there whenever I had questions. And so I really owe those two a debt of gratitude because, for, you know, for any soft practitioners out there listening, like it's a really lonely road. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly back, Russell, to your original question, that is the genesis of Ashtanga Parampara. I, I did not want people to go through what I had to go through in terms of just, you know, finding disparate corners of the internet just to find kernels of, of teachings. And I kind of wanted to have a platform for teachers to share all of that. So that's how it started. Wow. And Jessica, I mean, at that time you were maybe communicating through Instagram or through just like No, Facebook? this is way before. Yeah, this is way pre-Instagram. I mean, this is definitely Facebook days. <laughs> okay. when, when Facebook was like everyone was on Facebook. Yeah, because right. you weren't right? living even close to each other at the time. No, no, no. I was I was in I was in Arlington, Virginia, so 15 minutes out of DC and mm-hmm. Jess was where was Jess at that time? She was She might have been in India. <laughs> India, yeah, or Encinitas. It was one Encinitas. of those. Encinitas, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wow. I, you know, it's it's amazing because it it reading Parampara and being a part of Parampara. I, Harmony and I were both uh, interviewed by you, and it was such a it was such a really lovely experience to go through. Um, you know, you would ask a question. And then, you know, I'd give, you know, for a long-winded answer. And and then was it was it true for you as well, Harmony, that then he would write back with a second question and it seemed to just be layered on top of what you'd already said? Is that how yeah, you did it? Was it was like a conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was purposeful, Russell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, yeah. were the were the questions uh programmatic or were you were you really dictating the question depending on what was said? That's a great question, Russell. There, there were, there were a series, maybe two or three questions that every teacher had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did you, like, can you share your background around the practice? How did you find it? Um, you know, uh, what was, you know, what what is it about the practice that you found transformational? I would let. I really just wanted that. I really just wanted every interview. Lydia and I wanted every interview to be 100% authentic and organic as if the reader was present in the room. Mm-hmm. And so wherever you, Harmony, or you, Russell, took the conversation is exactly where we would go and take mm-hmm. it. Right? We found that's 
really where the most engaging conversations would arise. And every teacher is different, right? You all mm -hmm. come from all over the world. I mean, that was, that Russell and Harmony is what I found so amazing about these interviews was that we were interviewing folks from India and California and Canada and like Poland. And you really felt the essence and the differences in how the teachers, you know, kind of structure their modalities of thinking and practice. Like Mark Robert's, you know, like if you go into his his interview, it's just like you feel that like surfer vibe into it, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, you know, you you go to um, like Tova or 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 Magnolia Zuniga, and you feel that very kind of like Angie Jameson, Angela Jameson, like mm. very like structured, like mm -hmm. you know, one hundred percent discipline. And neither Mark or Tova or Magnolia or Angie, no one's better or worse. It's just how it is, and we really want to reflect that because as we talk about the practice, like you know, it's just so metaphorical on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, from the breathing to the grounding to the attention to the dream, you know, it's just all of it is so metaphorical in so many ways. And so Lady and I really try to do our best to kind of draw that out. Yeah, you guys did a great job too. And I think it's one of the things that we love about, you know, having these podcasts too, is that every episode is so different depending on who we're talking to because their personality, their energy, what they're interested in, their story, their, you know, so much uh, comes across and, it, and it's so unique. And yet everybody has a, a love and a passion and a discipline of yoga in their life that's changed and transformed them somehow. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. And, you know, shout out to you know, Peggy Mulqueen and, and her daughter, you know, they've mm -hmm. in the past few years as well have been doing just an amazing work and carrying on the community practice through ups and downs. And mm -hmm. I feel like the practice, and I'd love to talk about this, Russell, and mm. I, feel, I feel like the practice, you know, through through the ups and downs and the Me Too movement and whatnot, I, 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 I was hoping that through that there would be kind of a softening of the practice and I would love to discuss with you at a certain point in terms of folks who are doing their best to bring the practice into communities and hold space for students and, and they're not authorized or, or certified. You know, when I was coming up in the practice, there was this really, really, really rigid perspective on that. And I, I, mm -hmm. I hope that's shifted. And I understand the reality of, of authorization certification, what that means from a livelihood perspective as well and, and the business side of things. But I just, I want to, I'll table that for now. Mm -hmm. Well, um, yeah, there's just so much to uh, unpack here with, with this, with this discussion. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of um, touch on is that I, I don't actually think that God Donahue listens to the show, but he's, <laughs> he's someone that I, you know, I, I worshiped at one point in my life and I feel really a very strong feelings of, of, of respect and, and loyalty to him as still. Yeah. Um, I don't think, and, and well, I know that he, he doesn't really, um, he, how to say this, he, he, maybe he regrets writing the, the Guruji book. 
Okay. And uh, I think that's that's safe to say, and I think he would agree with that if he was if he was listening. He's not super delighted that it exists, and I think in some way to him, validated and uh, validated Guruji's position in the community, mm. and and it it's it strode over. Uh, the victims of his abuse, and so it undermined their positions. And I, I feel like a, a constant danger that we have in the in the show. And and maybe you could, maybe you could say this about Parampara. Maybe you could speak to this about Parampara. Whether it did sure. this, whether our show sometimes, you know, we like to give a space for people to to speak. And sometimes they come on the show and all they have to say is reverence for, for, for Guruji. And other times people say like, you know, Dominic come on the show and they speak um, about Guruji's abuse. And so are we uh, <clears throat> validating Guruji's position in Ashtanga Yoga and can we, can we talk about Ashtanga Yoga? Lots to unpack there, Russell. Lots to unpack there, friend. Um, yeah, so I think it's extremely healthy, um, to talk about what happened. I think there's no way to move beyond, um, what transpired unless there is space to hold, um, around these hard conversations to acknowledge the transgressions that happened and occurred. Um, you know, I think that's, to be quite honest, you two, I think that's why so many, as you, as you all know, kind of walked away from the practice. Um, mm -hmm. It certainly was a reason for me to pause. Um, it was difficult for me to separate what had happened um, with the practice itself. Um, I have, I know a number of folks um, who have been the victims of, of sexual assault and rape. Um, my partner, Madeline, is is one, and you know it's okay for me to say that. And the reason why I share that is because it's she is open about that because she it's her intent to normalize how pervasive sexual assault is. No means no. Um, mm -hmm. That wasn't the case, um, you know, for a very very long time, and uh, you know I think when you look at some of the teachers who really spoke up, they they caught a lot of of, of slack, um, negative slack. Magdalene Zuniga, she was one of the very first uh, to speak out and to remind folks what had happened um, to more senior teachers before her and to what happened to her. And she just got castigated. Um, and it takes... It takes a lot of energy and fortitude to speak truth to power. And it's no different in life and in politics and, and in yoga and whatever space that you exist in. But to do that, it's a reckoning. Um, it's a very scary space to be in. Um, in. In full transparency, Russell and Harmony, I am not tied to the Ashtanga community the way that I was tied back in my peak and, you know, 11, 12, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Now in 2021, um, I am re-engaging with the practice 
in a way that just makes me really happy because, you know, when I practice it, you know, I'll go up to literally John Hu A and I, it is literally taking me an hour and a half because mm -hmm. I'm just so in love with movement and breath mm -hmm. and every activity that I do, whether that's running in the trails or, you know, rock climbing or surfing, it's, you know, it's all about that. It's all about breath and focus. And I still to this day, truthfully, cannot find a practice, no pun intended, that can bring all that together the same way Ashtanga Yoga does. Mm. Um, so that's a long-winded way to answer your question, Russell. I'm still wrestling, to be quite honest with you, with everything that's happened. Um, I, I'm not happy with how, you know, the main shala responded to all of this and how long it took for things to be acknowledged. And I understand that there's a lot of cultural uh, layers to this as well. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you know, I I remember talking to you uh, for about an hour and a half. I was in an airport uh, parking lot and we, we talked all of, we talked uh, about uh, the, the list controversy when, all the senior teachers removed from the list by Sharad, and we talked about me too. And we talked about what what I knew and didn't know, um, my own complicity in knowing these these stories. Uh, do you remember that conversation? I do, I do, um, very very vaguely, very vaguely. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's been a minute. But, yeah, yeah, but it was right. It was right <laughs> when you stopped uh, creating these interviews on Parampara. It was right at that point. And I remember we were passionately talking about this this story and about, um, you know, the the suggestion that that people of a particular generation, you know, didn't know anything about what was going mm -hmm. on. I was like, bullshit, they didn't know yes. anything that was going on. <laughs> we just didn't care as much. And it wasn't as, we weren't as uh, vulnerable to uh, accusations of complicity because the community was only like 200 people. Yeah. But when it's, you know, 200,000 people and it's all on Instagram, it's a, it's a different conversation. Is it possible to continue doing Ashtanga Yoga? with this problem do you have to rebrand i'm pausing because i'm reflecting russell um mm -hmm. when you when you took me down that memory lane there all of that that conversation in its entirety kind of just hit me um, and so that's making me pause to reflect on that conversation um while you asked your quite your new question um <laughs> you know it before i answer that russell Harmon, i, I it's just so interesting how fast the tide changes because when we all last conversed through these interviews a few years ago, um, and I'm speaking for myself as well, right? Like I really, really believed, really, really believed in, in like, you know, the, 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 the guru lineage and the tradition of, of, of kind of, you know, like just, 100% devotion mm -hmm. to, to the guru and the teaching. And what I'm grappling now with Russell and Harmony is how, how do we take that element um, of respect and tradition to historical legacy, 
but do it in a way that is healthy and full of awareness and full of safe space as well as safe boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what the practice is either going through now or or needs to, to go through. Um, Tova Steiner did such a beautiful job, you two, of, of doing this in in her shala. And um, as I apprenticed under her, you know, and, and Lydia was an apprentice and so was um, Hope Lambert. Those two came well before I did in the program. And I was taught in a very strict way of safe hands and mm-hmm. always asking for permission, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was without a doubt the preeminent kind of value system that we held in terms of a safe space. Um, And especially as a male in a room full of women, and there was maybe like one or two other gentlemen that were were joining at times, you know, my buddy Wade Oakley would come back at that time from UVA to visit and um, a few others. But now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I am so just grateful that Tova kept that hard line in the sand because I can see how it can just lead to issues. Um, but yeah, I, back to the rebranding question. Ah, uh, this is so hard. You two, um, <laughs> you don't have to come up with a, a distinct answer. Well, at this. I mean, he, he is our communications Bengali <laughs> in our forum. You know, he studied political science. He's, he was communication lead at the Aspen Institute. I mean, this is this is in his wheelhouse. If there's one guy that we we're going to ask about, yeah. does Ashtanga Yoga need a rebrand? Because if you Google Ashtanga Yoga, in about two or three minutes, you're going to find, uh, you know, uh, sexual assault. And you're going to like, huh, maybe this isn't for me. Can we grow Ashtanga Yoga? Can we grow as a community? Or is it impossible? Are we are we are we stuck? I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think I also like your your pointing to this, um, you know, these holding of two things about, you know, being able to practice with devotion Mm -hmm. and respect for the lineage, um, respect for the roots and where it came from, you know, instead of just like rebranding, say, power yoga Mm -hmm. or... That's a good one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like the way that sounds. Actually, or, did you just come up with it? Yeah, that's a good one. Or wow. you know, power the the I don't know. <laughs> what else can we? What else can we rebrand it as? Uh, uh, yoga on the on the down low. What was the <laughs> <laughs> yoga on the down low? I don't know. Whatever, right? Whatever we wanted to flow yoga. Right. I, I Instead think, of, <laughs> I think I've heard of that one actually. Yeah, people before. people have rebranded Ashtanga Yoga in these ways, you know, to give them more freedom within the yeah. the structure and the system. Vinyasa, flow, power, uh, dynamics, hard, soft. Um, yeah, like Bikram yin, Yoga yang. to Hot Yoga is an excellent example of rebranding. Right, but I mean, Ashtanga has kind of gone through this. I mean, it has these branches. Mm-hmm. Where people have taken the principles of Ashtanga and then like kind of made it their own thing or or made, you know, the vinyasas method 
um, independent mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the lineage, independent of the tradition. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess the question is the sort of the beauty, the thing that maybe attracted Lou, attracted myself, attracted you, perhaps, I don't know, but to Ashtanga Yoga was its authenticity, was its roots, was its connection to India, was its connection to a tradition, a lineage. uh, Ancient system that you're going back to that's only actually about 40 years old. (laughs) But it, it... it had a history. It had a history. Well, it wasn't what, just created last week. Like no, but it was part of the propaganda of the system. Was that there was this ancient system that was discovered in grape leaves? It wasn't at all, though. It was all um, well. Nobody bullshit. really knows about the Yoga Karanta. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> that's not a thing that existed. Well, we don't know. No, if it, if it was eaten by ants, it doesn't exist. No, things were written on palm leaves. They got they got eaten by ants and disintegrated all the time. In it's India. that's uh, I think a um, <laughs> uh, a fiction. It, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Nobody knows. But I so mean, let me if ask you this, you know, Russell and, and Harmony, because I would love to get your perspective on this. And Harmony, you just touched <laughs> upon it, and I was kind of like going back in memory lane and asking myself, like, what really drew me into the practice external from the asana? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, to your point, Harmony, there's this beautiful history, though, in terms of, you know, Patapi Joyce and Krishnacharya and all of that. And my question to you both, Harmony and Russell, is, you know, how is it healthy for us or just our human nature to want to romanticize something that, you know, this this context of, like this exotic historical legacy that we're finding ourselves going rabbit hole deep in. Is that healthy? And and should that be encouraged? Because it certainly is a, a, I'm figuratively speaking, but a huge selling point of, of the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. I heard, um, I heard representative Elise Stefanik, uh, or I, I read her on Twitter the other day, and it was the FDR's. Um, it was the anniversary of FDR's um, New Deal, and she and she said, um, you know, nowadays she said something like, nowadays, you know, we have to be concerned about <clears throat> socialism. Um, but you know, thank thank goodness we still had the 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 New Deal. And it was such a perverse and absurd spin on the New Deal because it is socialism. Mm-hmm. And you know, for her to to attack libtards like myself <laughs> as socialists, Marxist communists is extraordinarily unfair. But it it's it it speaks to how every single thing can be spun. Uh and I'm am Am I? I don't know where this analogy is going with Ashtanga, but I'm curious <laughs> to find out. <laughs> I feel like take I've, us I've, with you, Russell. Take us. Yeah, with Yeah, I feel you. like I've 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 lost the plot a little bit. What? <laughs> you just wanted to talk about politics. Well, yeah, because I feel like it, it is it is um, like when you you can take any notion and and spin it, and that's you know really what we're talking about. It's like we're talking about two different uh, uh, opinions about one idea, whether or not there is an actual truth there is, is really 
um, up for up for up for grabs. I mean, I think I think you're right, Lou, in that you can do the practice, and the practice has its own value, its own inherent um, benefits that you know are difficult to find, maybe mm-hmm. in other systems of yoga that branch off from from Ashtanga. Uh, simply in the vinyasa, in the breath movement system, in the also the repetition of the sequence that creates like a almost a meditation, a groove in your mind that allows your mind to turn off and you're able to immerse yourself in the breath, in the sensation, in the practice. Um, and to a certain extent, that practice, I think, can stand on its own, but I'm not sure that we can um, detach it from its history. And I think that's mm-hmm. maybe what you're getting at, Russell. It, it is. is that- thank you for that, because it's 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 marketing, and I think yeah. that's what you do when you romanticize something. You you market it, right? And that's what I was. That's what I meant by spin. That marketing is spin, but it's also inevitable. And so, mm. you know, you take a photo of yourself for Instagram, you know, you, you try and find, you, you, you try and find the best possible light to put yourself in, mm-hmm. you buy a light kit and you make yourself look more attractive than you do in person mm-hmm. so that you can market yourself for a particular thing. And people think of you in a particular way. It's just so inevitable to each and every, um, each and every object that we want to present to the world is that we would try to present it in the best possible light. And that, that's, so that's. And that's maybe also human, human nature, right? I mean, that's also part of, of who we are as, as people that we want to show up in the best possible light. And so you were in a, <laughs> in a situation where um, hundreds of, of people tried to present Patapi Joyce in the best possible mm. light, mm-hmm. romanticize his position, romanticize the the Ashtanga Yoga in, in the most in, in a plausibly ideal way. Mm-hmm. And what happens when that when the the narrative collapses from the middle? Mm-hmm. Can you continue um, um, pretending that the brand works? Lou, you're the branding expert. <laughs> Oof, this is a lot of weight on my shoulders. You see, like, <laughs> I mean, gosh. Um, I mean, honestly, when when you ask me that question, I, I yes, I, I think I think a rebrand is necessary, and I you say too. that with I. I do. Um, God, I mean, I say that with a broken heart and I'm not even kidding saying that just because like, there's just so much, there's just so richness. Um, But I, but I think, I think, I think a re a rebranding doesn't necessarily have to mean that now all of a sudden it's, you know, a, it's now like, I don't know, like jumping Jack yoga I like that. There are different there are different 
there are different mutations and levels and mm-hmm. layers to a rebranding. And I think it is 100% absolutely necessary to be transparent and upfront with what transpired. Uh, if you're a teacher and you are seeking mm-hmm. new students to your shell. And the reason why I say that is because you do not want, you know, you do not want um, eager, novice, young student, Harmony and Russell, falling in love with a practice, but then all of a sudden deciding to really go deep down and research Ashtanga, and then all of a sudden have all of this blow up in their face mm-hmm. without any sort of kind of walkthrough mm-hmm. from the get-go, Yeah. right? And so if I was a authorized teacher, which I am not, if I had a shala, which I do not, if I had a website, <laughs> I would say something along the lines, and you two, I'm just literally spitballing, you know, just mm-hmm. right here, right now. But I would, you know, I would say I teach, I teach classical hatha yoga in the Ashtanga tradition. And mm-hmm. then on the website, have a space recognizing, acknowledging the victims of what happened, mm-hmm. um, who suffered, um, and saying, this is how this shala is committed to moving this practice with, you know, that has beautiful elements to it mm-hmm. forward in a new, in a new space. That's how I would do it. And, but then again, what the heck do I know? I don't know very much, but you're asking me a very serious question with very weighted implications. And these are livelihoods on the lines tethered to your question. People who have spent decades invested going to India and practicing at the Minshala, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So I don't say all of that without acknowledging that part. Yeah, it's and, and it's a little complicated too in that everybody who practiced with Patabi Joyce had a very um, individual type of experience, you know, and so their their connection to him is unique to their own personal perspective and you know, it's important, like you say, to acknowledge history and acknowledge the transgressions, acknowledge what happened, the victims. But how can we inc- be inclusive of, you know, history as a whole? And I'm, I'm not sure if we can, actually, <laughs> but we're trying. Yeah, well, It's, it's yeah. super, it's super interesting, because I, I remember also when I was working with with Guy in 2000, as his apprentice, and he taught me uh, in the same way that it sounds like Tova Steiner taught you, Lou, in to be very careful with my hands, to have very soft hands, uh, to use a towel as much as possible, um, to let let people feel safe. Um, this this image that I have in my mind of of thinking about the 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 consciousness as something that you permeate through layers of, of existence, like, um, uh, Anamaya koshas. So you're, you're going through layers of kosha, the emotional, intellectual, and then physical body to then get to adjust the person, all these really safe things. And at the same time, guy was 100% encouraging me to go to, go to Mysore. And, and when I got there, um, yeah, I found um, I discovered all of these things about him, but also had a very kind of benevolent experience 
in the room, um, other than my own personality, you know, craving, um, that was probably the most difficult part about the experience was me getting in my own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I, I, I agree that I think, uh, it, it's hard for a new student to, um, come to the practice, come into the room, say, well, where does this come from? And then, you know, the, the only thing that they get is this story on, on the internet or, or a horrific image on the internet that's easily available. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do with this student who's, mm-hmm. who feels like, you know, you've, they've been lied to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Just to say that I, I, I like how you've structured it mm-hmm. and, uh, I teach classical Hatha yoga in, in this, in the Shatanga tradition. And then you have this other, other part on your website, acknowledging, uh, this piece. And I, um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that there's a, that there's a better way to do it. And, and to your point, Russell, that, that part is not buried seven clicks away. It is front and center. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and I think the, I think it's, it's, it's gotta be 100% transparency. This practice is a life transformative practice in, in a room that is hot and sweaty and people are working out issues, complications in their lives. Like it's such a vulnerable space and something like this has, has to be addressed. And, you know, any other questions? Please, please go see your teacher. Ask mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Can I ask you both a question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Um, I mean, these are again such heavy weighted questions in terms of hypotheticals of rebranding the practice. What, what is right? What is the main shala saying in terms of like? Because I, I understand how strict. Shrat is in terms of, you know, like, can you, can you rebrand or do you get your authorization taken away unless you're, you are front and center Ashtanga yoga in the Shrat Joyce lineage? I mean, I don't, I don't really know the answer to that question, to be honest. I, I'm not sure there's sort of a clear answer. Um, maybe, you know, I think sometimes students have, have an impression that, uh, you know, things kind of come from the top <laughs> in the Ashtanga yoga lineage and that there's some, you know, clear, uh, do's and don'ts or, mm-hmm. you know, there's guidelines. And, uh, my experience has always been that it's a little bit fuzzy and yeah. that, you know, yes, don't do teacher trainings, but it's okay for these people to do teacher trainings. <laughs> um, you know, don't teach workshops, but it's okay for these people to teach workshops. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. don't teach advanced series unless you're certified, but it's fine if everybody teaches advanced series, even though they're not mm-hmm. certified. So to me, I don't know that there's really any direction coming from out of my source right now as far as rebranding um perceptually i think sharat when he uh dismantled the website and the list of teachers 
that was sort of his way of rebranding and turning it into the Sharat Joyce Yoga Center instead mm-hmm. of the Shri K. Patabi Joyce Ashtanga Yoga Institute. And, um, but I don't know that he's ever really come out and said anything publicly about, you know, changing Ashtanga Yoga to the name Sharat Joyce Yoga or Joyce Yoga. And even though, um, you, you know, that make- at one time was something that was attempted to call it Joyce Yoga instead of Ashtanga Yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also it's it's sort of interesting because for me, I always like the term Ashtanga Yoga because it points to Patanjali, it points to the greater mm-hmm. roots and history and tradition of yoga and the eight limbs. And so, you know, maybe rebranding <laughs> would involve calling it eight limb yoga or something that would still connect us back to um, Ashtanga. But I mean, Ashtanga to me isn't actually Patabi Joy's yoga. It's it's the eight limbs and it's Patanjali yoga. Mm-hmm. And we just happen to do a very particular kind of asana practice that is embedded within the eight limbs of yoga. It, it's such it's such a tough position for Sharat to be in, who who himself rebranded himself because he was Sharat Rangaswamy. Yeah, changed his name to Sharat Joyce for branding purposes because yep. mm-hmm. it makes him mm-hmm. it makes him seem more as an authentic lineage holder from Sri K. Patabi <clears throat> Joyce. This all blows up in his face, mm-hmm. and then you know he makes you know he you know he converts. Um, the name of the institute and the name of the website from Sri Kipitavi Joyce to Shirat Joyce, mm-hmm. but it's still got Joyce in the name. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you'd think that he'd be better off calling it the Rangaswamy Institute. <laughs> or Ashtanga Yoga Institute. Ashtanga <laughs> Yoga Institute. <laughs> it's really... Back, back to what it used to be, really the Ashtanga Yoga yeah. Research Institute. <laughs> and just to answer your question, Lou, I would say that, yes, there's... there's um, there's probably some deeply conflicted feelings going on and uh, an un- perhaps an unsurety of which direction to go in, which I think to, to Sherat's advantage, I think he's deeply contextual. He does see and make allowance for individuals to do something different, which infuriates, say, someone like myself when I feel like the rules aren't applied universally, mm-hmm. I want I want just equal justice under the law, and I and I mm-hmm. want to see punishments for those who, who break them. <laughs> I seek you know Batman justice and all things, and I don't get that because each person's different to Sherrod. and so yeah yeah you know someone like um, I shouldn't name names, but someone but someone um, can teach teacher trainings because. You know, she made a good argument for it. Okay, fine. <laughs> Even though none of the rest of us are allowed to. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but this is okay. Because it is, he sees that there are different views um, and different, and it, that that's that's to be commended in its own way. I'm just not sure that it's very structured. Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. Lots to unpack, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Lots to unpack. Do you do you have a yeah. response to that? Because I, I I kind of want want to try and figure you out more, and I feel like yeah. um, 
we're kind of accidentally um, uh, turning you into the interviewer. <laughs> you love the interviewer role, Lou. <laughs> it's my preferred role. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Russell. Um, can you can you ask me the question one more time in terms of you know where you'd like me to go with this? <laughs> where where I would like you to go with the interview of us on Ashtanga Yoga. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a good question. I I'm really I I've so much enjoyed working with you uh, on the Parampara project. That was, um, I think, something that I'm immensely proud of is it, we, we went on for ages with that thing. It was like 30, 40 pages of material at the end yeah. of it. Yeah. And it was phenomenal. Did you know that it was translated into Hungarian? I did. I did. I've had... <laughs> you knew uh, that? Yeah. So I... And Russian too, I, have, I think. I, I have occasionally you too. I have I have folks that will contact me and and um, you know it's it, it's sometimes it's a new practitioner mm -hmm. or or you know someone who's just happened to to find the website after a few years of practice or even many years of practice and say I come from X country and I would love just to do my part for this practice and further it. Can I help translate this and kind of you know, put it out there. Mm -hmm. And I wow. said, of course, I just need you to attribute the source and, and, and the teacher that you're, you're interviewing. Otherwise, you know, this is for me, Harmony Russell, this is a, a common space project. I do not own this project. Lydia does not own this project. So we are simply transmuting um, the, the conversation onto a digital platform. That is it. And then we get the hell out of the way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was the intent of, of the platform. And it makes me really happy, Russell, and thank you for bringing it up, that it has been translated in, in, in a variety of languages just because I think there are so many gems. My God, if you go and just, a, it's literally just close, blindfold your eye, click on a random interview, and you're going to find multiple gems. And it's one of those things where I find where, you know, like it's the more times you read an interview, the more layers you're peeling back because a lot of teachers sometimes speak in a very subtle way where they don't want to be direct, which is interesting because they'd be very direct in, you know, in, in their shala, but when it's in writing, you know, they, they want to be a little more subtle. And so mm -hmm. you'll pick up on certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I just find it so fascinating, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, every interview is really, so incredible and you really do get the flavor of the personalities of the teachers which is so much fun yeah so for you uh did you are you did you grow up in in virginia is that where you that you came out of uh born i was born i was born in washington dc oh, so um yeah, I was born in washington dc my my parents have a fascinating history because um my my father actually um, moved to France early in his life. And it was a situation where my grandfather at that time had the foresight to see what was evolving in terms of, of um, the Viet Cong um, making their way down south. And so in, Viet, in my, Vietnam, my, my father yeah. has, he comes from a, you know, a family of 12 brothers and sisters. And my wow. grandfather cobbled up enough money. And again, context is important. It was just a reality of the time where he could only send three children over so he chose he chose his three his three eldest boys 
mm-hmm. and sent them over to France for university. And so my father largely spent his, his years in France, um, but he met my mother in, in Vietnam and was her, her French tutor, I think back like in junior high or, or whatnot. Uh, anyway, all to say, my mother ended up coming over here in like the early 60s. She actually worked for the, the Vietnamese embassy. And there's a really cool story behind that because when the, the Viet Cong invaded the South um, and, you know, we effectively cut bilateral relations with Vietnam, the embassy closed. And I believe there's, there's like a, a, a front page photo of her on the post, um, like handing the key over to the ambassador after locking the gates. Wow. Closing oh, wow. the embassy. My father made his way over here. Um, he went to uni in France and graduated, you know, with a degree in chemical textiles and um, <laughs> decided he wanted to own a restaurant. We do. And so, <laughs> you know, it's just like, so, but here's a really cool thing. Here's my dad, my dad came over here and um, literally worked a series of jobs. I mean, at one point he was a, a, a hamburger cook and flip burgers in a small cafe in DC and cobbled up cobbled up enough money um, with a business partner of his who I now call you know he's his uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they opened up a restaurant. But here's the really cool thing, Harmony Russell, is that my my dad, who barely spoke any English, didn't just open up a restaurant. Right, like, didn't open up a restaurant in a small strip mall, or you know, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But my dad had the audaciousness <laughs> to open it up in an area called Georgetown, Washington D.C. Oh, and that's, that's like the Soho of New York. It's a, a pony neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, who was like, who was my like, who do you think you are, Dad? Like, did you do this? <laughs> But my dad was really, my dad was really smart, and he was an extremely hard worker. In fact, the story behind my dad being able to come up with money was that um, my my uncle actually, uh, I call him my uncle, but he's just my dad's business partner. But he mm-hmm. saw my dad working in a in in a restaurant. I think he was flipping burgers at that time, and saw how he was he was the burger flipper, the cashier, the busboy, the dishwasher, and all of these things. And wow. he would, he would see my dad doing this over the, you know, a series of, of months, because I guess that's where he went to go eat lunch occasionally and told my dad, listen, like if you ever open up a restaurant, let me know because I want to support you because I see how hard you work. Mm. And, um, my dad who oddly enough, YouTube doesn't cook any Vietnamese dishes (laughs) (laughs) to my dad's French. He literally doesn't even eat white rice. My dad has a baguette with his dinner. If he, oh my he, he, God. he has a baguette, he doesn't do white rice. But my dad Fantastic. had the foresight. My dad actually, Russell and Harmony, he hired, he hired the executive chef from the Vietnamese embassy where my mom worked at that time to build oh, the wow. menu. Um, and so that chef designed the menu. And what ended up happening was my restaurant became a portal for my mother and my father to sponsor their brothers and sisters over from Vietnam. Oh, wow. And so the restaurant became this, this enclave of family members who had an opportunity to, to work, to bring their kids, my older cousins who at the time were, were four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, years old. Mm-hmm. And 
my older cousins ended up working in the restaurant and supporting themselves to go university. And they're now amazing, you know, executives or physicians and dentists, and they've made an amazing life for themselves because of this one restaurant. And it just has such a cool story. You know, it was, I, it's, I believe one, I, I think it's the only, it, it was the very first Vietnamese restaurant in all of DMV. Wow. As I was told, it, it opened up in its original iteration in, I want to say 1971. Um, and it was there for 40 years, wow. again, in a space called, in an area called Georgetown, where the traditional turnover for restaurants was maybe three or four years. Wow, um, that's incredible. 40 years. Yeah. So in 2010, 2015, or is it still there? Um, yes, it was still there. And at that time, my parents had long retired. Um, oh, I see. And, but my, my aunt ran it. My aunt um, purchased it from my parents and kept it alive for a number of years. And it's, it's now, um, you know, it's a now a different restaurant and there's a new owner. Um, yeah. You both are taking me down memory lane because back, back in, in the eighties and nineties, it actually was the kind of hotspot for the Republican leadership to convene. And so my dad, <laughs> Oddly enough, go figure. And that's wow. why my when I ended up working for Hillary Clinton. But um, yeah, like they would whisk in like the Republican leadership, like, you know, like Dick Cheney and all of it. They would come in and that's where they would strategize and plot um, and, and you know, work on, on legislation. Um, and the really interesting thing, you two, was that, again, my dad was so smart he he found a space that was literally two blocks from the Four Seasons Hotel. So in the 80s and 90s, there was no W Hotel. Right. There was no fancy, you know, boutique hotel. So if you were a celebrity, you stayed at the Four Seasons. So all of a sudden, you know, like you had Michael Jackson, you had Madonna, you had Julie Roberts, the, all the 80s and 90s superstars coming through our restaurant. And, you know, like my brother has photos of him as a kid with like, Michael Jackson and Ma I was going to say Madonna, but actually Madonna didn't take a photo of him because Sean Penn yelled at my brother, who I think at that time was like seven years old because he just, he just, he disturbed their dinner. And I'm like, that is so on brand for Sean. Yeah. That's a perfect story. I can't story. even get mad. Yeah. yeah. Perfection. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Wow. Do you, do you think from this experience with the Republican leadership coming into your restaurant, like that's where you developed an interest for the industry or, I mean, is, is, were you, I mean, is that where that started for you? In terms of politics and communications? Yeah. No. Is that, is that what your parents wanted for you? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. So, um, when I told them that when I started college, when I started uni, that I was going to study political science, they just looked at me and, and thought I was speaking a, a foreign language, <laughs> you know, because like typical immigrant story, you know, they had aspirations of, you know, me going into, into medicine or, or into law. And I ended up taking a very, very different path. Um, mm -hmm. And they couldn't be more proud now, but at that time, they just had no idea what I was doing. 
<laughs> so, like they weren't they weren't watching the West Wing with you. Like that was no. just you on your no, own. No, 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 no West Wing. I was watching the West Wing, but they weren't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what, how did what what did you think when you were in high school before you went to uni? What did you think you were gonna do? Um, I didn't know. I didn't know, Russell. Honestly, I was a very late. I was a very late bloomer. Um, you know, I had closest. I had really close friends who were doing amazing things in high school, and that just wasn't me. Um, and they ended up going to amazing institutions like Harvard, you know, and Vassar, and just really great schools. I ended up going to a state school, Virginia Commonwealth, in Richmond. Loved Richmond. Loved my experience there, and that really transformed me in a number of ways. Um, but I, I don't know. I. I didn't know what it, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think that ended up serving me really well because I was, I was a blank canvas. Um, and it wasn't until college until I took a political science class, um, that, uh, I ended up, um, becoming a teaching assistant for, for three years where I just fell in love with just, the historical context of history and how history oddly enough finds a way to repeat itself um, and how you as a participant can affect change from within. And that's kind of really where I got my initial desire to work in politics um, and everything kind of just launched from there. Hmm. Hmm. And yeah. would you say that, that things now are different from they were then as as far as the politically as the political sphere because i felt because i felt when i was you know when we were both kids or when i was in high school you know i was a little nerdy and i would come home and after i finished the lilius Follins yoga and you program i'd, I'd watch uh c-span mm-hmm. and i was fascinated by c-span i would just watch um Oh, I forget the majority leader at the time, uh, Trent Lott. I'd watch Trent Lott and I would just like, I would just bristle. And I, and I was like a 15 year old. Like I want to, oh, I hate this guy. I hate Trent Lott. I hate Lindsey Graham. And like, even then I felt that like the Republican party was um, like viciously hypocritical and sanctimonious and uh, I despised them and mm-hmm. I became obsessed with hating them. And so now it it seems like um, they are who they who they always said they were, but it also feels like maybe are maybe things are really very different now. And this is um, this is a a Republican Party on the ropes, and now really showing their true colors as really a you know a white supremacist organization. I think, Russell, that the Clinton years is when you can find a clear line of demarcation to when everything went haywire in terms of, um, you know, pre-Clinton. Right? Um, and, you know, you know, the Reagan years, you know, was, mm. there was there was a there, there, there always existed a, a ritual of decorum within politics. You argued, you argued from either aisles, but there was always inherent in that. Um, and again, I fully acknowledge that at the time, you know, as, as it still largely exists today, you know, politics largely is, it's, it's largely dominated by a white patriarchal system and that mm-hmm. largely defines how everything is driven. But all to say, there was, 
there was a, a, a ritual and a structure in which you you acted. Um, and then during the Clinton Clinton years, um, with everything you know, you know, Lewinsky, da 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 da, um, the gloves came off, and it just got really, really nasty. Um, you know, and what the Republican Party has done, and for the record, I'm registered Democrat, mm-hmm. but the Republican Party has always done um, a a much more effective job at optically tethering the American value system to their party. Oddly mm-hmm. enough, ironically, yeah. which kind of blows my mind, because yeah. you would you would think the issues like you know healthcare and education. Um, the basic needs of a human um, <laughs> yeah. and, and what a human wants for, for their children are front and center. But all I want to say, um, and, and, and that, that's still largely where we are now, but I think we've gone off, we've, they have veered off so wayward with Jesus, like, you know, like, like Jesus, Green and Gates and, yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just become so reality tv and uh i was gonna say that 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 really with the clinton years what you have is is 24-hour um uh television or 24-hour news cycles um what am i trying to say Uh, um the invention Mm -hmm. of cnn Mm -hmm. is is a part of that where you have to kind of fill you don't just have to fill 30 minutes of news you have to fill 24 hours of news and so it does maybe it does become a little bit more vicious and maybe it does change the culture. Theatrical. It becomes theatrical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, per- extremely performative. Mm-hmm. And so extremely performative good. politics is kind of like, that would be a, that, that you could, in the history book, you could call the 2000s the performative politic <laughs> era. Movement. <laughs> the, that's the, you could define the period that way. There's postmodernism and then performative political. Exactly. <laughs> and Russell, I mean, Harmony, you don't let's let's not put the onus on 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 the on let's not put all of the onus on the politicians because because we have to be really critical and honest with ourselves. If you if you take um you know on on the left and on the right, the top three or four politicians to get the most airtime, and then you dig a little bit deeper and find and 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 research what bills have they co-sponsored or put forth or worked on, you're not going to get very many. And the reason why I say that is because, at least for me, largely on the right, those that get the most airtime, you know, I, you know, performative politics, they're driven by their constituency that loves this type of stuff. They love this. It's, oh. not, it's not about legislative agendas anymore. It's about how much can you shit on, on, on D.C. and on the opposing side. For, for example, like that that representative Matt Gates out of Florida, who is an ass clown, uh, he does nothing legislatively. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. just on TV. Yeah. Okay. But that makes sense. It's, it's a never-ending cycle, too, right? Also, because it's Gates is simply feeding into the system that is perpetuating him. So if his constituents push mm-hmm. back and say, "Get the hell off the money," you know. My kid needs to eat. Our school mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. Our, our our roads need these potholes filled. You better be sure he's going to get those things fixed right mm-hmm. away. But instead, what they're saying is, 
you know, we love what you're doing. You have somehow resonated, found a voice for us. Continue. And that's mm-hmm. this never-ending perpetual cycle that we find ourselves in. And it's extremely tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's easy to, to look at the political system and point fingers and um, feel like, you know, there's all kinds of problems with it, of course, which there is, but forgetting that we're also part of the political system and that it, the responsibility is also on us is, is really important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there's something really kind of, um, there's, but th- that there's a, um, a biofeedback loop going on, um, where, uh, they're on these politics, say uh, a performative politician is on TV um, because they are loud and abrasive and, and play to their base. People like us watch them on TV and then uh, we are our value system or our um, uh, our thought styles are reinforced. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get money for advertising and then um, they say more wild uh, because they have to continue continuously up their you know up the ante. They say more wild and outrageous things, and then suddenly we're invading the Capitol with pitchforks and trying to kill Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's at a certain point it's incredibly irresponsible, and we're in a lot of trouble as a as a civilization. Uh, because we've just had a violent ins- civil insurrection in our in our country, and I think we might be getting closer to um, mass civil disobedience, or even mm-hmm. uh, I guess you could call it civil conflict. I'm I'm leaning towards saying you know civil war, which is you know quite a bit different, but it might actually be happening. Do you, you, do you think I am? Do you think it's going okay. that way? Do you think it's actually, is, is it this, is this, an, are we in a very dangerous space for our, for our uh, country? If you Excluding, asked me that a year ago, I would have, yeah, if you asked me that a year ago, I would have said, Russell, I think, mm, you know, I think that might be overheated for you, an overheated statement for you to say, but now um, after seeing the insurrection, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we are we are treading in extremely. No, we're not even treading. We are in we are in dangerous waters right now because you have a ex president who is still to this day attempting to subvert democracy um, and to not even subtly engage his base to continue um, in behavior that led to an insurrection. On, on, and flank, flanking that, you have you have a political party that is t- attempting to rewrite history when it's convenient for them. And then when it's not, you know, within, um, on the flip side, re-engaging that base and continuing to perpetuate the same hate, hateful vitriol that led to what happened, um, where officers were badly beaten. You had a, a, a former, you know, military, um, I'm not sure if she was an officer, um, but you know, she was she was shot mm-hmm. uh, for trying to crawl through the window in the Capitol. Yeah, um, uh, Babbitt. 
was a it, exactly was for and was, honestly, was a navy officer or navy uh, sergeant. Yes, and honestly, Harmony Russell, as someone who who lives in D.C., who was born in D.C., and for for those that are are listening from outside of D.C., never in a million years would I think that our backyard would be the the stage set to to an insurrection. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, 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 I'm still processing all of this to be quite honest, because you have those in the Republican party that, that, that use, that use blue lives matters, you know, and, and that uses the, the, the police force and the military mm-hmm. as a marketing tool, mm-hmm. weaponizes it against others for their own political furtherings. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, when it's not convenient, shit on them. Yeah. Right. And to shit on the officers that testified on the Hill under oath, what happened to them? And you have folks like Laura Ingram on Fox and you have other folks who are calling them crybabies. And it, it just blows my mind. And, you know, Wilson Harmony, like, you know, you both are, are slightly older than me, but like you both, you both know of like the Reagan years, and and that's in the eighties. That's that's a time period in which I was a, a young boy, and like I cannot even imagine. I cannot even imagine the Republican Party at that time, Reagan, seeing what's happened today, and literally not turning over in his grave. And I'm not even a Republican, no. but that's how far our country has come. But that's something that Reagan said when he was governor of California is that we can't allow the children of our country to choose which laws that they're going to obey. And he, he said that about the Berkeley riots, you know, that was, yes, you know, that's yes. the, that's a person who's, you know, is talking about the rule of law and yet also, you know, selling, uh, you know, weapons to Iran to pay for Sandinista coup attempts in South America. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a, it's such a bizarre set of contradictions that on, on one hand, you know, domestically saying we respect the rule of law and then, you know, in private, um, blowing up the South America, you know, instituting coup attempts. We had someone on the show who um, was in this country because, uh, oh yeah, um, uh, what African country was he from? Ghana? Ghana, yeah, because Ghana had had uh, had 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 a coup attempt and an insurrection and uh, the president, while he was visiting Vietnam, um, uh, in, uh, in Kure, uh, President Nkure was visiting Vietnam to try and stop the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and then the CIA mm-hmm. uh, overturned the, mm-hmm. the socialist mm-hmm. government of Ghana. Right. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of hypocrisy there um, that's embedded into the American political system. Like what is, it's the rule of law when it's convenient for us. Absolutely. 100% agree, Russell. It's, I mean, this, this would be like its entire series if we want to delve into like, you know, you know, back in terms of who's complicit in all of this. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, I don't know, Harmony Russell, I just, it's really sad to me where at the end of the day, um, you know, my partner Madeline, she's from the Midwest and that's kind of, you know, that's where I posted up for, for a number of months in during during COVID and quarantine, oh, yeah. um, her family's her family's based out in 
in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. And so for the first time, I really got to experience the Midwest. And by the way, the Midwest, wow, it's so different than what I expected. For some reason, I, I thought it was going to be like going into the South. And it's just so different. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it was really amazing, to be quite honest. Um, but all I have to say, at the end of the day, you know, when we travel across this world, whether that's North, East, West, South, at the end of the day, if you think about it, we as humans, as brothers and sisters, we really just want the same thing. Mm-hmm. We want a roof over our head. We want food on our table. We want just the ability to take care of our family, education, healthcare, and that's it. And we, we overcomplicate this in ways that have led to such great bloodshed. And yes, there are a number of factors that I have to acknowledge that separate us in terms of topical themes that we disagree on in terms of abortion, right? And mm-hmm. and religion, a few other things that commingle to create kind of um, a hot pot of, of disagreement. But beyond that, at the end of the day, when we are going through a really rough time in our lives and we all go through them and we're just humbled, at the end of the day, we're just like, oh my God, like you realize how so much of everything else is excessed manufactured drama that we create for ourselves. And I guess what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say is in politics, I really do wish that we get back to a space where where there is disagreement. That's healthy disagreement. I mean, that's the purpose of how our government in America is structured. There is supposed to be effective gridlock, right? Effective compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm going to see that in my lifetime, especially at the rate in which things are going. Now, Russell, back to your point in terms of where we're going. I don't know. I mean, maybe everything's going to blow up in such a in a, such a spectacular way where you have nowhere to go but to rebuild. Yeah. Possibly like this practice. Yeah. Well, we've been watching The Handmaiden's Tale, and uh, we're hoping that they don't rebuild in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, right? It's such an interesting show because it's really – it's written by a Canadian and if you if you it's and it feels like I'm like when you're you're in Canada watching the United States it, it feels, feels like, just like this. you're like that's yeah that's what they're like down there yeah <laughs> that's what America's like they have to yeah it's a real we have that impression for sure <laughs> it's like people like watched it's it's like all these 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 um midwesterners or say Texans like Ted Cruz like watched uh, the Handmaid's Tale, and said to themselves, "You know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> let's do that. Let's let's overthrow the government. Let's let's you know wipe out Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in Congress. Blow that up. Uh, blow up the White House and put women back in their place. And put women back in their place. We don't where need they this belong. Me Too thing. We don't need any of this. Oh, it's all too complicated. They should stop reading and writing. Yeah, <laughs> women. Should, if they stopped reading, because and writing, women are really the problem in progressive politics. Right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> Russell Harmony. A few days ago, I was reading how you know Governor Abbott of Texas mm-hmm. is putting forth legislation to remove. Um, that you know, remove mention um, and teaching of of MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. in his place yeah, in yeah. history from Texas education. I was just like, yeah, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, this is still this is where we're at. Or as yeah. my stepfather calls him, that fucking Nazi. Oh. 
<laughs> that's what that's what Jim calls him. Jim, oh, the senator. The Jim refers to the the governor of yeah, Abbott governor. of of Texas yeah. as that fucking Nazi and has for years. And he's because he is, and he's Texan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Texas is a weird state. Um, if you cut it in half and said and just left the cities. It would be the bluest state in the United States. It'd be as blue as mm. New York or Illinois because mm. Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, Austin all vote blue. Those mm-hmm. are gigantic blue enclaves. But because the landmass is so vast and you've got so many counties that are that are represented in the voting, it always ends up being about 51, 52% red and then goes Republican. Mm-hmm. And it's but it's so vile living in Austin, Texas and having all of this stuff going on around you. And it's just like, you just like, you just, you can't, oh, you, you, you get so enraged. One of, this is not suitable for the radio, but one of my, one of the most uh, common bumper stickers in Austin, Texas mm. in 1997 to 2005 and maybe still today (laughs) but like this was the most common bumper sticker in austin texas get your crucifix out of my cunt oh (laughs) that's austin that is austin texas you should have told me to give people a warning to cover their ears Even Lou cringed. I could, oh, I could hear him cringing. Poor Lou. I mean, it's your podcast. <laughs> so speaking speaking of um of of cons, I w- I thought that the Handmaid's Tale was interesting because I thought it really like at its premise at its core was uh, Phyllis Schlafly, and I. I I don't know if you remember her, but she was. There was a great television show with her recently mm-hmm. um, about her, um, Phyllis Schlafly, who led the the cause the, the anti feminist backlash cause in the seventies um, uh, against the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, Mrs. America, that's right, Harmony. That show is Mrs. America. And it's it's an amazing show because it really illustrates like her hypocrisy, because she is such Phil, Phyllis Lafley is such a feminist, you know she um, she works she she runs her own company she uh, has a team of women only women working for her, <laughs> and yet everything that she was about was was fomenting performative politics and really mm-hmm. creating performative politics and creating an anti-feminist hysteria in the United States. I, I, do you, do you remember her? Do you remember anything uh, about her? I don't Russell. Unfortunately I don't. Yeah. Okay. You have to watch Mrs. America because that's also, a, Mrs. America. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Also a great show. Who is the, the main actress in that? The oh, uh, Australian name? woman who was, um, um, cast. <laughs> Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett oh, playing, Kate Blanchett. playing yeah. Phyllis Schlafly. Absolutely okay. fantastic. I okay. I thought that the other thing that's going on in um The Handmaid's Tale, which is amazing, is that the premise of the show is that they've run out of fertility. 
And so, you know, there's very low fertility in the country and in the world. And so someone like Phyllis Schlafly, and of course the main character, um, mm-hmm. the main mistress in, in The Handmaid's Tale is, is based on Phyllis Schlafly, goes on this goes on this book writing tour um, talking about a woman's place. Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. Phyllis Schlafly thing to say. Yes. Uh, is that a woman's place is in the home. They, she shouldn't be bothering herself with work. She shouldn't be bothering herself with with reading and writing. You know, she should just concentrate on making babies. And so the problem seemed to be that that there that there's so few resources that it it seemed to set the stage for a violent revolution. And I thought that maybe it was a kind of metaphor for the white supremacist movement in the United States as being because they feel more and more marginalized. And like, that's this, this feeling that you're being marginalized makes you want to be more uh, violent to maintain power. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's like, if you're a minority in the, in the, in the United States, you're, you're sort of like saying like, well, yeah, welcome to the club. Like this is what being marginalized feels like. Mm-hmm. Do you? I absolutely agree with you, Russell. I think uh, I call it white fragility. Mm. Yeah, um, I call it white fragility, and uh, that I mean you've kind of distilled kind of the, the essence of our conversation in terms of what's what's happening, what's kind of driving of you know, a lot of this, these issues that we're experiencing in, in our society right now is is this kind of notion within within the white space that there is this conspiracy to to overtake them and to and to you know they have this kind of puritanical right given by the divine to exist in America and, yeah. and to the leading authority in America and minorities are just here to you know rape and pillage and exploit our resources and right all of that all that nonsense. Um, but yeah I think um I think for a number of folks, Russell, a large, popu- a large segment of the population, um, you know, you know, in white communities, they are feeling attacked, um, and you know, seeing the data that by 2050 it's going to be, you know, minority majority scares the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't really math is math. Yeah. Do right. Like that's it's it's happening right now and. Mm-hmm. What we're experiencing right now, I think, is uh, it's just the transitional point of a reaction from from the existing community that has largely benefited from from the resources. And I think um, it's it's so interesting. God, Russell and Harry, like people, you know, um, I've, I've been working with with the UNCF um, for a little over eleven years now, and I manage a portfolio of work in technology and education that's roughly around fifty million dollars, and and so much of that work really is is around um, promoting and providing equitable access and opportunity to the to high achieving young African American students specifically in STEM because that's the direction of of where there's a critical need of of, of the workforce moving forward. Um, and all to say, you know, eleven years ago. Um, Folks have no idea what I did or, or why. What's the purpose of, of the mission of, of the UNCF? Um, and fun fact for all listeners out there, the UNCF is the second largest provider 
of financial aid um, for minority students to go to university, mm-hmm. second only to the United States federal government. Wow. wow. That's how large we are. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So sorry, so I'm going on a tangent here, but all I have to say, it was really only the past two, three years where folks in this country really began understanding the structural inequities mm-hmm. that affected the black communities. And, you know, you hear people talk about, and I'm one of them, about giving giving students in my case or or, or, or black individuals in, in, in black space and communities, um, an opportunity to get into an even level playing field. And, and lots of folks in the white spaces are, oh, they, they just need to work hard. And, you know, that's how I did it. Da, 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 da. But what they don't realize and now what's coming to light is that this is how the game has been rigged from the get-go, from mm-hmm. the origin of the Constitution and how it was written around, you know, around black folks. And I don't even want to get into it because it kind of just upsets me. But um, mm. you you have in the 40s and 50s and 60s federal legislation that targeted specifically black communities where the federal mm. government um, forbade uh, mortgage providers to work with developers that were developing in black communities. And so that's why you had mm. um, you had development of suburban homes and, and residential communities built out in white spaces and not and black space. And so what happens is, you know, what what happens when you don't have access to capital? You can't get a home. Well, what happens when you can't own your own home? You can't get access to, to, to capital and loans against your home. Well, what happens then? You can't open up your small businesses. Well, what happens then? You can't, you can't, you can't launch your own business. You can't give back to your community. You can't build jobs. You can't further expand out the reaches and tentacles of, of the work that you're doing and build and further out your community. And so a lot of folks didn't understand what was happening, um, but now they do. And I don't know, I just feel like it's, it's really tragic how it takes, you know, things like George Floyd um, yeah. for issues that are in our backyard to rise up to consciousness um, of America. And before I forget to say this, Harmony and, and Russell, what I, what I really wanted to say when you invited me on was that there, there was at least in terms of like, you know, the peak of Ashtanga Yoga a few years ago, there was this, and I was a participant, I was an active participant in it where I got so caught up in it where you kind of looked around and kind of like shitted on other yoga practices. Sure. You know, and... and you mean the inferior ones. <laughs> yes. You know, the inferior ones, right? Exactly. No, but, you know, kidding aside, um, but, you know, what I really want to say is if you're listening to this and you're a pra- practitioner of Ashtanga Yoga, really ground yourself in the breath work mm. um, and in the connection to the parasympathetic nervous system, how that calms you down. And if you walk out of the shala. And you immediately become an asshole, <laughs> then the practice is for naught, right? You know, like, like <sighs> the practice is so transformational. It's such, it's such a transformational practice, and it, it still is for me. And, and the takeaways from it, Harmony and Russell, where literally, like, it has impacted me in so many ways. Where I really do want to say that, you know, it's benefited me in such a space where I have clarity in certain spaces where, whether it's in a tough negotiation with a contract or whatever the case is, 
the practice has allowed me to see things from a third-party perspective that allows me just to kind of be in a, a observational space than caught up in the emotion, mm-hmm. right? If that makes yeah. sense. And I mean, shit, if, if you're a stiff person and you're working on Janu A, or if you're working in, you know, Karandavasana or Kapatasana, there's a, a moment in, in that space where everything just collapses and you are literally immersed in your breath and you are just doing your best to kind of forward reach or backward reach or whatever that case is and you have no thought. And that to me is, is the jewel of the practice. I want to take that with me wherever I go because for me that is like the healthiest space to be in where you don't have you don't have these 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 thoughts that arise. And I mean, God, like ninety nine percent of the thoughts that I have are just trash. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, most most of us, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it allows us to see separate mm-hmm. the useful thoughts rather than. The not so useful thoughts, and instead of latching onto the not so not so useful thoughts that can get us into trouble or just simply waste our time, we can exist through a healthier space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll I, stop right there. Well, I think that's so important that that emphasis on the connection to breath and even like the way that you're approaching the practice, because we all know you can approach practice like you know, with that time, that time limit, like, oh, I got an hour or an hour and a half and I got to get through all of this primary series and half of intermediate series or all of whatever, you know, whatever you're trying to get through. Um, and then it becomes like, you know, you're on this train and instead of it activating your parasympathetic nervous system, you might actually be you know, putting yourself in a more stressful mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. response in a more yes. st- stress induced kind of uh, practice. And I think a lot of us, you know, during this time of COVID, where we've been processing a lot of stress, internalized stress, um, you know, notice that in order to help process this, this additional sort of mental, emotional, psychological, um, you know, hopefully not too much physical, but <laughs> all this stress in, in these different ways, um, you know, our practices had to get cut right back and toned right down so that we we're moving more slowly, getting into the breath more directly. You know, it was taking us longer, like you mentioned at the beginning to, you know, take an hour to get into John Shashasana A where you can just really like be in that space and, and activating exactly. that parasympathetic nervous system in order to give us the support we needed. Exactly. Harmony. And, and, and I'll, and I'll say this, I am, I am at the, from a physical perspective, I'm, I'm the stiffest that, that I've ever been just because I do so many other activities, you know, ultra marathons and, and surfing and rock climbing. I mean, these are all, don't tell Sherrod, but yeah, these are all like, right. Like these are like the worst things that you can do, like rock climbing. Like, Oh my God. Like you, you I mean, look, but all that to say, you look pretty jacked Lou. I, before we got on, I was like, wow, that dude. Is you, yeah. but, you know, all that, all that to say you too, is that, you know, when, when I, when I do practice, even, even now, this to me now at my stiffest, it, you know, as opposed to a few years, just a few, you know, like two, three years ago, I was able, you know, I'm just boom, drop back, catch my ankles on my own, like the whole shebang, right? Mm-hmm. But when I reflect on that time to where I am now, 
how I am practicing now is a much more authentic, genuine, intentional way. And the reason why I say that is because I was much more performative mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I could catch cabs in in, in Kapotasana or catch mm-hmm. my ankles and walk. You know, it was just largely and you know, I was largely kind of an egoic in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, before I kind of went wayward in terms of when 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 you practice, if you're a practitioner listening to this and you walk out of the shala, like you are leaving with such a precious gift. Don't leave and you know be this asshole. Go out into your community and and find out what is it that you can give back, you know, into your community for good. What is the benefit that you can bring? And for me, Harmony and Russell, my sadhana now is it's it's my work inherently. It's exposing these students to opportunities to better themselves. I had I had one of our foundation scholars a year ago write to me year and a half ago and say, you know, when I graduate next year, Mr. Liu, um, with my degree in computer science, and you know, they make, you know, Russell Harmony, like you both know, they make like 120 coming out of undergrad, yeah, out of uni. That's right. right? Mm. He said, when I when I graduate with my degree, the generational line of poverty in my family ends with me. And I can now help my mom and yeah. my siblings. Yeah. That to me, Harmony, back to your original point about the eight limbs, that to me, that mm-hmm. is my Ashtanga yoga now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me, that is my sadhana. That is the work that I'm called to do. Mm. Um, and Ashtanga yoga to me now is a conduit to be able to do that so I can remain focused with cl- with calmness, clarity, and poise in the work that I do even at its most difficult moments. Mm. Yeah, That's amazing. That, that was... Um... That was really well put, Lou, that the the purpose of the practice is to give us poise so that when we interact with others, you know, just our just our presence as a calm voice in the world can have an impact on the people that are around us, so that we could actually have a reasonable conversation so that we can learn about each other. And that was like that was one of the things that John Stewart said when he was on Crossfire with Tucker Carlson. Is that the the premise of the show was for people to yell at each other and yell each other down? Why don't we have a, a different kind of conversation? One we're really trying to learn each other's perspective, and that can only happen right when you have control mm-hmm. over your mm-hmm. own breath, when you can regulate mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. and then have and then have space for reasonable conversation. Agree. Absolutely. Uh, I, I Absolutely. hope that this show can do that. And I, I hope that we're not, um, um, you know, undermining anyone else's uh, feelings in the course of the show, or, or, you know, some people might feel that we're not, you know, giving um, enough space for people to think or, or speak, but that's really what we, what we want is we want to learn from other people and, and where they come from and where their, where their values come from. And I also think, you know, the work you're doing, Lou, is so powerful. That was like really, um, yeah, really powerful to hear Thank that you, statement. And um, and I think it's... I appreciate it's, that. Yeah, um, it, was, it was very and, moving. You know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I really do want to um, thank Tober Steiner um, mm. 
for being my teacher for, for a yeah. number of years. And, and also inherent in, in her lineage, also thank, um, you know, Angie Jamison, Angela Jamison. Um, and for all you practitioners out there who haven't had a chance, you know, please, you know, find Angela if she's ever traveling through your town or find her out in Ann Arbor. You have a chance to read her, read her blog. I think it's the owl. I think it's called, what's it called? I'm not sure. But uh, I don't know about you too, Russell Harmony, but whenever I read her blog, I, I definitely need my, my dictionary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's a deep thinker, she's a deep sociologist, right? Yes, yeah. deep, deeply academic. <laughs> deeply academic. Um, but yeah, because without without Tova, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever had a chance to really share this with her. But you know, again, if she's listening, she was such a transformational person in my life um, for such a long period of time. Um, the benefits from learning practicing under her mm. remain with me today mm. well thank you so much lou for coming on the show and and sharing with us and sharing your perspective that was a a, a, f- a fascinating and and wild conversation and um i hope our listeners stayed with us um as we went through this but um i just want to thank you again it was really it was such a, a great pleasure to be a part of Parampara and to having you um, on our show is a night is a neat circle for us. <laughs> Thank you both so much um, for the opportunity to converse and and for you know I, I want to applaud you both for holding a a safe space where difficult conversations are had. Um, that is the most healthy way to move this community forward. Mm -hmm. And I both cannot give you enough kudos. Well, thank you. Thank you. Of course. I, you know, I, I I just to close, I really feel like that, you know, that emphasis on shifting from like, you know, we're talking about performative politics and, and I think sometimes the practice can become performative practice, you know, performative asana and shifting back into that really heart-centered space that space that's that's really connecting to your breath and connecting to your purpose your dharma your work in the world how you're making the world a better place which is everything that you're talking about you know is is maybe i mean maybe that is the rebranding that ashtanga yoga needs is to shift out of this you know right and wrong and you know who can jump back and do handstands and backbend and grab their knees into a more heart centered, mm-hmm. more, um, you know, grounded in, in social awareness kind of space. And, and it's, maybe it's a, a beautiful new beginning also that we're, we're a small piece of, and, and you're also a piece of as well. And it's, it's just such a pleasure to hear all your thoughts about Thank everything. You, and be, be, before I go, Russell Harmony, I, I definitely want to support my local community. If anyone is listening in Washington, D.C., please check out Keith Moore at Ashtanga Yoga, D.C. Uh, I love Keith. Or Mike, Michael Joel Hall. <laughs> Michael Joel Hall, um, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just please check support them. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Get out there, D.C. people. <laughs> yes. Get out there. And if you, we'll put a link to it on the show, but on the show notes, but please look at ashtangaparampara.org and uh, check out these amazing interviews. And, and we do hope that you find space to to make more of them and to hear more people's stories. You know, and I think they're, they're, um, they're that's really um, a, a, a beautiful uh, treasure that you've made. 
Thank you. Um, there are plans. There will be plans. And uh, I will definitely keep you both in the loop. Yes, please do. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lou. Thank Thanks, you. you too. Have a great day. You too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.